1: Check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
2: Welcome to All the Smoke, a production of The Black Effect and Our Heart Radio in partnership with Showtime.
4: Welcome back, man, season two of All the Smoke. We got a real
2: special guest. What's up with you, Brody, with the virtual
4: handshake? I'm
2: gonna tell y'all something that I never told nobody. I want All the Smoke. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. Jack, what's going on, bro? My brother, what's going on? Just chilling. Uh, It's getting kind of cool out here in Atlanta, but I'm warming up. Yep, as you should. Uh, Man, I'm chilling out here. We just had uh, the birthday with the
4: baby a little while ago, so he's two now. Even though he looks like he's fucking four, but uh, we had a good time with that. Hung with the family, but uh, man, we got a a, a special one today. Uh, A legend in the space, Hall of Fame edition. Yes, absolutely. Welcome Jim Gray to the show. Jim, how are you doing? Great, Matt. Good to
5: talk to you and Stephen. Thanks for having me on.
4: Yes. I mean, over 40 years in this business, uh, tremendous accolades, more memorable conversations. Before we get started, I, when I was doing research on you, I, uh, Muhammad Ali had an amazing quote that kind of just like really kind of contextualized like what today was about to be about. And he saw it early the first interview Jim ever did was with me from then the first to my last. And, and many years later, we have a very special relationship. I'm the greatest. He's the latest. Jim is the me of his profession. Just don't tell Howard Cosell. Like when Muhammad Ali says that about you, how does that make you feel?
5: Well, it, it feels as good hearing you read it as he did when he said it, as I've read it a thousand, two thousand times, uh, uh, he was a special man, he was uh, obviously very special in my life, the first interview that I ever did, guys, and uh, allowed me to be the last interview that he ever did on television. So uh, to have been able to travel with him, to learn all that wisdom, to hear all of his stories, to be in his company on so many so many occasions, uh, to uh, have seen him fight uh, what he stood for outside of the ring, uh, the principles that he had, the man that he was, the fun that he made it. He just made it so much fun. He loved people. He loved all people all the time, and he was great with kids. So uh, when I hear that, Matt, and and when you say it, uh, I still still literally do get chills because uh, coming from him, I mean, I I just can't get higher praise or, or what could make you feel better than that?
4: From a greater person. Absolutely. Like It just kind of it, it kind of made me say like, oh, wow, like that. That was that was that was very special. How is current day treating you? How how, how different has it been uh, during this pandemic um, from your normal day to day? Because you're so active across the board in several different sports.
5: Well, just haven't traveled much. Uh, we stay to ourselves. Uh, you know, you miss the people tremendously. You miss the people that you work with, uh, your friends, your family. Uh, Unfortunately, my mom has got stomach cancer, so I want to be able to see her, so we've really isolated. Uh, I live in California. Uh, She lives in Colorado. Um, She's doing good uh, after a number of chemo treatments. So uh, it's just kind of altered everybody's life and and changed so much for uh, everybody uh, across the planet and and here in our country uh, with the tremendous uh, uh, loss of life. Uh, those who are isolated, who can't see people, the unemployment situation and loss of jobs, and the economics uh, fallout from it. So you know, I, I I guess we've just been impacted like like everybody else. You know, certain areas we're doing good uh, because we're home and, and we're safe in certain areas. Uh, you know, uh, we're we're trying to help other folks who who are struggling and uh, just trying to get through it, knowing that you know it's no longer it's no longer a 24-hour news. Uh, cycle. It's a 24-second shot clock, and you guys can understand that better than anybody.
4: Mm. Wow. wow. Well, we're sending love and strength and prayer to your mom. Um, Thank you. Yes, for Hoping sure. Hoping she pulls through this. Thank you. She's 89, and yeah. she's strong.
5: She's tough. So uh, she, She's she, kicking. She, there you go. Doing, she's doing the best she can with the hand she's dealt. She tells me all the time that coronavirus and the isolation is much more debilitating than the stomach cancer. So uh, I guess that's good oh, news, wow. but it's also, you know... I just just want to make sure that we can get her through this period and, and be able to spend some more time with her after this vaccination hopefully it gets rolled out and uh, people can can get back to whatever would be considered a semi normal life.
4: Absolutely. Uh, You just released a book uh, that I can't wait to read uh, this this past November, Talking to Goats, spotlighting conversations and time spent with some of the biggest athletes from Kobe Bryant to Muhammad Ali, Tom Brady, LeBron James's decision, Mike Tyson, the dream team, Pete Rose and the list goes on. When you sit back and kind of look and maybe you can't have a full perspective yet because I couldn't get a full perspective until I was done playing But just kind of looking back at 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 your path to today and still going as strong as ever, what do you think? Like, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
5: (laughs) How did all this happen? How could this have possibly happened? (laughs) Uh, Because you don't really reflect when you're doing it. I mean, you you both played what 14 seasons in the NBA and traveled to a Mm -hmm. number of teams. Well, I was there, chronicling a lot of that, and just going from city to city, doing interview to interview, and then. When you start to look back and reflect on this and i had greg bishop from sports illustrated who did a great job organizing this and writing this book he he was terrific to work with and he and he did uh, he's a great writer and and a a great friend but there's tens of thousands of interviews and events and so much has gone on that while you're in the mix you're you're not really looking in the rearview mirror and this caused me to look in that rearview mirror and and i'm sure you know, Matt, when you saw a lot of those highlights, or Stephen, when you look back at, at your careers and you see all those baskets that you made, or the critical shots, or the big defensive plays, or those huge wins that, 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 that you didn't think about mm-hmm. when they happened, maybe you did for the moment until the next game, right. and then you start taking a look at this and the collection, all of it, and you say, wow, how did all this happen? And, and then you start thinking, I really did all that? <laughs> and so, um, right. you know, right. it's, it's, it's been a real blessing. And it's been fun to look back, particularly when, you know, I used to live at John Madden's house and became very close to John Madden. And he, he's a genius, a brilliant man, obviously, with football <laughs> in his coaching and then broadcasting and all the Emmys and, and analysis and then the Madden game. But Madden used to always say this to me. Everything in life is looking forward. When are you born? When are you going to crawl? When are you going to talk? When are you going to walk? Where are you going to go to school? What are you going to be? When are you going to have confirmation? When are you going to graduate? Where are you going to college? So I can keep going on and on and on all the way through a lifetime. But you're always conditioned to look forward. Very rarely, at least in my life, have I been thoughtful or conditioned to looking backwards. So this gave me that opportunity, and and it was fun. It was hard, but it was fun.
2: Speaking speaking of the book, me, me and you had a chance to uh, pre- previously speak about your book. You was telling me about it, and it's something that kind of involves me in your
5: book. <laughs> well, the malice in the palace, yes, sir. Uh, I was there that <laughs> night, broadcasting that game on ESPN with Bill Walton and Mike Green, and I was standing right there when you kind of. Jumped over me and went went in there with Ron.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: a memorable night, man. A memorable night for sure.
5: Probably much more memorable for you and and all the repercussions and everything that has gone on since. But you know, it was it was it was interesting on on a number of levels, and uh, you know, to be able to reflect on it. And uh, you know, there's some interesting things I try and put in the book uh, at the Malice at the Palace that you know really hadn't been examined. And a couple of the things really right. is, is, is I blame personally, you know, the Pistons, uh, not only their fans, but Ben Wallace much more so than, uh, you know, the public did and, and seemingly, uh, you know, everybody did. Obviously, you can't go in the stands and start fighting with the very customers who are paying for your game. No question. So, and what David Stern did uh, was exactly right, uh, but the blame and the reason all this began really, in my estimation, began uh, with Ben Wallace and, and got taken to another level with the fans.
2: Right. Yep. The game was over.
5: Well, well over. I mean, so, you know, I believe Bill Walton even said on the air that wasn't even a hard foul.
4: <laughs> <laughs> leave, it to, leave, leave it to Bill. I love Bill. Ron, Ron, uncut. <laughs> so you've had a... Uh, Obviously, as we spoke, a 40 year career that stemmed over several sports, basketball, baseball, boxing, football, golf, um, you name it. Do you have a favorite? Do you is there one you tend to or you have a love for all of them?
5: I really do have have a love for all of them. And it's kind of hard when you're sitting at a Super Bowl to say to to sit there and think, boy, wouldn't I much rather be at the NBA Finals right now? Or if you're at the NBA (laughs) Finals watching Jordan make a shot or LeBron or Kobe, you're really not sitting there thinking, right. boy, the opening ceremony of the Olympics would sure be nice to be sitting at. So you're kind of just, you know, really right. fortunate and lucky to In have been moment. able to have the whole collection of them all. I will say this, though, there's nothing like a great prize fight. When when mm. Hagler and Hearns or Tyson and Holyfield or Ali and Frazier or Mayweather and Pacquiao have that ring walk, there is a the There's an energy and, a, and an intensity um, that is in the air in that arena that doesn't really exist. Maybe only one other thing exists like that, and that's the lighting of the uh, torch at an Olympic opening ceremony. You know, mm-hmm. who will light it? Uh, wow. who, how will it happen? Will it be a, a bow and arrow, which was brilliant in Barcelona? Will it be the greatest moment I ever saw with Muhammad Ali? Uh, you know, fighting Parkinson's, and 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 there was the greatest who lit the torch. So perhaps that moment but uh, uh no really i don't think i have a favorite sport i mean i love basketball i love the nfl i love boxing and golf has been a lot of fun so and the olympics have been been just tremendous so uh my favorite sport is the one i i think i'm at at the time i'm at that place
4: <laughs> there you go like you said yeah. lucky enough just to, you know just to be there but then i think what is obviously allowed that you to have the success you have and 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 the longevity is trust and as players it's hard to trust the media it's very hard to trust the media because there's it's normally angles and i remember from the first time i met you and then like i said prepping on this and, and as a part of your book and what they said and a lot of the common theme was like they trust you. You know, you're a straight shooter. uh You're honest. There's no motive. Even if you have to ask the tough question, it's still, you know, there, there, there's there's no unwrapping to do. And that says a lot about you because like I said, for athletes, it's almost like a criminal talking to police. You know what I mean? Like it's just like it's, it's hard sometimes because your words get twisted and it, it becomes different than what you intended it to be. So we really are almost really protective when it comes to actually talking about you. So for these guys to be as comfortable as they are to talk to you and let their guard down, it really says a lot about you as a person as well.
5: Well, thank you. And it's, uh, I've been honored and, and really, you know, gratified by what these folks have had to say, uh, uh for the book and, and, and about me and, you know, trust is a hard thing. How, how, how is it that you and, and, and Stephen trust each other? Well, you do, you build a relationship, there's a camaraderie, there's a coexistence and you understand, and you don't have to probably talk to him every day to understand that he can be trusted and, and, and vice versa. So true friendship and true relationship, guys, it's reciprocal. I can't just go put my arm around Kobe Bryant one day and, and, and say, I'm gonna be your friend and you can trust me. Like you said, you know, there's, there's a tremendous amount of, of distance and distrust that goes on. So it has to be reciprocal. So if somebody's always giving, that doesn't work because then there becomes a, a, a dependence, right? And if you're always giving to somebody, right, right. that dependence is going to become debilitating. So the giver is going to be resentful right. of always giving and the taker is going to become a dependent. So that doesn't work. So it has to go back and forth. So I've been fortunate right. with a number of these guys from Ali to Eric Dickerson to Tom Brady uh, currently to Kobe Bryant. You know, I was, I was really heartened. The first line in the book was from Kobe. And you know, it just says exactly how it is. I've tried to behave in my life. If I had one word to describe, he was talking about me, Jim Gray. It would be that he's honest. Well, my dad uh-huh. taught me that. He said it doesn't cost you anything to tell the truth and to be honest. I've tried to live yeah. like that, and, and you know, well, I, fortunately, it's worked.
2: I know. I know. We're we're virgins compared to your career uh, <laughs> being in this space, but. I know the the conversations we've had in a year and a half, you know, with just the guys that we play with and the people we look up to, it mean it means a lot to us. You know, you talk about the Kobe, uh, the Kobe conversation, you talk about the D-Wade conversation. A lot of conversations we have with guys, they mean a lot to us. So I could just I'm just sitting here thinking about the the people you had conversations with, the meaningful conversations and the names you've named. I mean, I I I I I I know that 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 has to hold a, a big part uh, of your life when you' sitting at home, just watching TV or, or having breakfast, just thinking about those conversations because you have talked to some of the best in the game, the best to ever come around.
5: It does mean a lot, and and it means a lot internally, and it and it's nothing externally uh, because you know when you when when you've been doing this for a long time, and it's a, it's a different day and age, uh, as you guys very well know. I mean, back when I started this in the '70s. Nobody even had a beeper. If you didn't answer your home telephone, that's why I got to go interview Muhammad Ali. (laughs) I was the only one in the station. I was an 18-year-old videotape editor, a sports intern. Okay? Well, nobody answered their home telephone. There was no beeper. There was no cell phone. We were all walking around with computers in our hand and and documenting every moment. So that led to that. But it also led to really being able to have a relationship, being able to prove to somebody that you were trustworthy. You were able to connect with people because... Mm -hmm. For example, you know the players who are great today, they walk in and they're sitting at a podium and they come in from behind a curtain and then they exit from behind a curtain. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't allow for there to be a transactional type of circumstance where you're actually in front of somebody where you can laugh, you can smile, they see you're human, they understand that you might have children, they understand that your car broke down or you might have a different right. empathy toward them, toward missing a basket or throwing an interception because you can see it and feel it in their being, in their presence, in their eye, as opposed to now, you know, it's at a distance and everything's at a distance or somebody can just text it out or tweet it out or or put it on Facebook. So uh, that distance grows. So when you have a relationship truly with somebody, I mean, you guys have been in locker rooms your whole life. So you know what's public and you know what's private. Well, that used to be how we covered teams. We covered teams with what was germane to what happened on the field of play. So if you did something on the field of play, that was fair game, because everybody saw it and everybody knew it. Then if you did something off the field, which spilled onto the field, if you did something that became into the public's eye, that affected your play, that was fair game. But all of the rest of this wasn't being documented by the microsecond under a microscope. So, you know, it didn't it didn't come into the purview of what some guy was doing at night, what some guy was doing with his free time, where he was eating, what car he purchased, how he might have treated somebody in a bad moment of his life. Not his best moment, but a bad moment, but had nothing to do with the game. Now everything is just fair game because everything's out there. So I, I was very fortunate and feel really, really good about the time that I was able to come up in this because it allowed for all of this to occur. I don't know that it could now.
4: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, Jack and I, I think have have been able to be successful in this space is because it, it's almost like we're with the old rules. You know, what I mean, we're not looking for clickbait, uh, negative clickbait. We're not looking to Cause division anywhere. Like we genuinely want to be able to humanize our guests slash friends and learn about them. You know, I mean, I I just get just as interested in you know hearing what they have to say than I know our our fans are going to be because even though I know them, we're getting them to a level where it's not our normal. You know, it it's it's a normal no cameras type feeling, but just a sit down conversation where they can feel like they can let their guard down, and I think that's what's most special. Uh, for our viewers and our fans, when we're allowed to do that for them. But the one thing, too, I mean, it it almost seems like to me now because Jack and I are in the media space. Um, you know, I don't blanket everyone, but to me, it seems like it's about being first now and not necessarily right.
3: You right. know what
4: I mean? And, and when and when you're wrong, when you when they're when when, when the media is blasting you for something um, they, it, sometimes false. It's headlines, but then when when we find out that okay, well, you know, they will someone reported that wrong. It's just a tiny blip at the bottom of the newspaper, or just on the bottom line. What do you say to people who kind of see it like that, and, and people who are involved? It feel like that.
5: You know, you're exactly right, Matt. And uh, I do a chapter on that in Talking to Goats. It's called uh, Upon Further Re- Upon Further Review. Uh, which is a famous statement because everybody hears that all weekend long when they watch the NFL games, you know, when right. they go up to the instant replay. Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, now in reporting, instant replay gets further and further and further away. And the rush to be number one seems to be, you know, the right. omnipresent, be pervasive and seems to be so important. And, and I tackle a few of the things in the book, uh, which were my personal experience, and, and the pressures that occur, and, and one of them was, was Richard Jewell in the Olympic bombing. Uh, and I was on NBC all night with that uh, for the Atlanta Olympics. And here was a man whose life basically got destroyed. It became a, a movie last year uh, by uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, directed a film about Richard Jewell, and he had passed away. But, you know, the rush to judgment that he was the Olympic bomber uh, just permeated and took over. He ended up winning lawsuits against uh, several news organizations. Uh, but his life was destroyed mm. because of that, because he wasn't the bomber. Right. It was uh, Eric right. Rudolph uh, who, who had done that, uh, but that destroyed his life. Then we had the rush to judgment uh, with Deflategate and ESPN mm-hmm. uh, coming out with information that was all wrong, that set the tone, which led to a 25 to $40 million investigation by Ted Wells about literally uh, the amount of a fart being let out of a football somehow uh, Changing the outcome of a game that was, you know, they could have played with pillows. The score was like forty-five to whatever it was, ten. I mean, it wasn't. It, it was ridiculous. The <laughs> score. So, and and they spent all this time and energy because they had the wrong numbers that was given out, uh, and 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 then that took on a life of its own. And we learned more. What did what did Bill Belichick say? He's learned mm-hmm. more about the PSI than any human being should possibly know. And it led to you know, everybody knowing about, you know, <laughs> uh, gas laws. I mean, nobody even thought about this stuff. It's a football game, for crying out loud. And had nothing to do with the outcome, but that rush to judgment, right. you know, really right. negatively affected, you know, Tom Brady and his mother, uh, unfortunately, Galen got cancer. And is it related? I don't know, but stress causes all of this stuff. And just to be put through that, and then people think you're a cheater for life, uh-huh. okay? And you know, so, so right. those were two instances, but but exactly what you're saying. And I think, Matt, people come on your show, and I watch your show, and you guys you guys are terrific at this. But you know why? It's because of your ears. Your ears will never hurt you. You guys are willing to listen, and you're willing to let your guests have their say and talk about their stories. And it's always about the other people's stories. It's about the people who are being interviewed. It's their stories. It's not the other right. way around. And you know unfortunately there is a rush to judgment we see it just across the landscape and and things have changed and so now nobody knows exactly where to get their news from or or what source is correct so it's 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 problematic mm-hmm.
2: so what was it like covering the NBA in the 1990s
5: it was a great time i mean we had a lot of a lot of great people who were playing the game then i mean the 80s were a tremendous amount of fun too i mean i I learned so much uh, uh, on the coattails of uh, Dr. J Julius Irving, and he opened up so many doors. And prior to him, it was Marvin Webster and Paul Silas, uh, and 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 them opening those doors. And so the uh, the the '90s gave way to that era of Michael Jordan uh, and and those uh, six championships that he was able to win, and and the Pistons and the Bad Boys. And uh, Chuck Daly was my best friend. He introduced me to my wife. And he was my partner when I. Uh, uh, first started wow. broadcasting wow. Uh, back in Philadelphia on a, a regional station called Prism, and Chuck had been fired by the uh, Cavaliers. He was uh, uh, fired by Ted Septian, who was the owner, uh, and he uh, came back and did the uh, Sixers broadcast the pre games and half times with me. So uh, I, I was able to uh, uh, have a tremendous uh, uh, insight because of uh, Chuck, and so. Uh, that was just an, uh, it was a fascinating time, and, and obviously the '90s also uh, gave way toward the end toward the rise of of the San Antonio Spurs and, and Tim Duncan uh, and David Robinson, and uh, you know, uh, the end of that era, uh, and Magic and Bird uh, had bowed out. Uh, the Dream team was part of that, which uh, uh, caused this tremendous explosion for uh, global uh, basketball for America uh, exporting this game. Uh, and, and now all of the countries that participate and all of the players who come from these countries, uh, all because of Jordan and, and the Dream Team. And, and mm-hmm. there was nobody more fun uh, to cover and to be around than Charles Barkley during all of those years. He made everybody laugh. Mm-hmm. He kept it fun. He was obviously a tremendous player, uh, but it was just a great era to answer your question, uh, Stephen. It was, uh, uh, you know, every time you turned around, there was a good game. And it was a fun game. And Carl Malone and John Stockton. And who could ever forget Jerry Sloan and Rudy Tomjanovich? Rudy Tomjanovich and the Houston Rockets. Rudy Tomjanovich treated so so many of us so well for so long. Uh, I'm so happy that he's going into the Basketball Hall of Fame, the Naismith Hall of Fame. And uh, uh, he was he was just I mean. He was just wonderful. You could listen to his huddles. You could come into his locker room. He would answer any question. He trusted everybody. And I say this about Tom Brady, and this applies to Rudy Tomjanovich. Tom Brady trusts himself so he can trust other people. Mm -hmm. So if you make a mistake, you hang yourself. You're your own noose. If you get cut or get pushed out, it's because you screwed it up. And that's how Rudy Tomjanovich was. Everything was fair game with him, and he would tell you anything. Decide how you want to use it. Right.
4: Speaking of Tom Brady, what is it like? You guys do a radio show together. What was it like two goats, you and Tom Brady, uh, (laughs) working together on your guys' show?
5: (laughs) Well, he's the accomplished goat. He's the one that's throwing all the touchdown passes, but as he would be quick to say, he doesn't like that moniker with him because, A, he's still playing, and, B, he's got a lot of great teammates, and it takes the other 10 who are on the field with him and then the other 11 when he's off the field. uh, So those 21 other guys uh, play a big, big part uh, in in any success that he would have. But to do the radio show with him has been a total joy. Uh, The fact that he is, in my opinion, the best quarterback to ever play and the best player in the history of the National Football League, that he makes himself available every Monday night for more than a decade for the pregame and halftime, analyzes the games, answers all the questions about football. If there's something off the field that's important, uh, he's willing to go in and, and answer those questions. So uh, to have that access and to have the guy, he's, he's become a friend and uh, a good friend. And, and I'm honored that he wrote the forward in the book and uh, mm-hmm. uh, that he has been willing to partner with me for all of these years. And so, you know, what's it like for you guys when you were able to play with Kobe or against Kobe or when you're in the presence of, of Jordan? You know, it's special, mm-hmm. you know, it's unique, you know, that they're special and you know, that they have, done everything that it takes to get to the absolute top step of the victory platform and stay there. And he stayed there now for for 20 years and still has a chance this year um, in a new new place with Mm -hmm. a new environment. Uh, So I've learned so much from him football-wise, but I've also learned a lot from him just as a human being. And, And if you can't get along with Tom Brady and if you have a problem, and let me tell you, 30 cities have a problem with him. There's a whole lot of hatred toward Tom Brady. Not because of anything that he has done other than beat the teams in those city. Beat the teams in those cities. So if you're outside of the New England area or outside of, of Tampa Bay, you know, everybody's railing against him. But if you spend five minutes with him, or if you have a relationship with him, if you can't get along with him, you better take a good long look
0: at yourself. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
4: Um, what, what, you come from an era, obviously, starting when you started your career where great players, you know, stayed with one franchise. What was your thought when Tom Brady left New England for Tampa Bay?
5: Well, you know, Tom's father, uh, Tom Sr., he calls himself the original Tom Brady. Uh, he said this about four or five years ago. He said, it won't end well here. It never does. And he, he, he was able to look into the future, having known what happened to Montana in San Francisco, where, where, where they live. Uh, he knew what had happened, you know, with Joe Namath uh, going, obviously, uh, leaving and, and coming to the Rams from the Jets. He had seen it with Wayne Gretzky and how he went from Edmonton, where he was a legend, to Los Angeles, and then on to New York. And so, you know, the landscape is littered. Michael Jordan ending up in a Washington Wizards uniform. Um, So you just see what happens. And and it's so rare when it's the Kobe Bryant uh, circumstance. And so sports rarely ends well. And, you know, so I was saddened um, because you know, everybody wants a storybook ending and you want your friends to be happy. And I I wanted Tom to be happy. And then I figured out uh, the more that I talked to him and the more that he let me inside, happiness was being able to leave at this time, not with any bitterness, not with any rancor, not with anything but gratitude. I mean, so much is made out of this. I mean, he came there as nobody and he left revered, Mm -hmm. the most revered football player Right. in the National Football League. All time. So he's not angry with those folks. Might it have been better from moment right. to moment? Of course. Nobody spends any time with anybody, let alone 20 right. years, and has it perfect all the time. There's always bumps in the road. But uh, he's grateful. Right. And he's respectful. And he's happy with that time that he spent there. But he had to go. Just like it seems like the organization figured that they had to let him go or move on. And so mm-hmm. he went to Tampa. That's where mm-hmm. he picked. Uh, his family's happy there. Uh, they have a chance to win football games. It's not like playing in New England where he threw the ball to the same people with the same patterns and the same, not the same people, but the same system for 20 years and, mm-hmm. and whatever that is. How many baskets did you guys shoot? Maybe a million? So he's thrown a half a million passes to these guys and now he's going to a new place with a new coach and a new organization and you can't expect uh, after you know 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 16 weeks, whatever it is, to All have right. the same connection and chemistry as he had uh, at the place where the other uh, stuff had gone on in six championships. But as a human being, he's very, very happy and he still wants to compete and he still has all that left in him. So uh, I I think it was with a lot of mixed emotions. In the book, in the Talking to Goats book, uh, uh, he called me before he made his announcement and we were on FaceTime and he had written two beautiful letters, uh, one uh, to the organization and his teammates and one to the fans. And when he read the one to me, to his teammates uh, and to, uh, to the organization, uh, he started to cry. And it was just such a beautiful moment because you could see just how much it had meant to him, how difficult it was, but how, how relieved also after the tears had flown, he was that, that this was the right time and the, and, and the right thing for him to do.
4: I mean, they raised him, I mean, similar to Kobe, you know, him going there at, well, what, early 20s or 20 years old, they saw, you know, obviously his progression as a man, not only as a player, but as a man too. So I, I can only imagine all the emotion attached to leaving. But like you said, and, it's, and just think, it's well-documented that it, it rarely...
5: I hate to interrupt you, but just think how close he was No. to pulling the plug and asking Dr. Buss, yeah. get me out of here because Phil Jackson wasn't treating him right. Oh, yeah. and He couldn't get along with the, with the circumstance mm-hmm. that was going on in the organization, so it was just this close and, and Dr. Buss, who was a brilliant guy, you know, urged patience, and, you know, he was a great poker player and he was a great basketball owner and a brilliant guy, a genius of a guy. Uh, he just said, hold on here a second. And it, and it all worked out and it ended up working out great for Kobe uh, and the Lakers.
4: Absolutely. Pivoting, uh, you mentioned earlier, there's nothing like the energy of, of a prize fight. Uh, what got you into boxing?
5: Muhammad Ali. Uh, I was an 18-year-old in my edit booth. They were converting from film to videotape. So all the film guys uh, were in the union and they took the buyout. They didn't want to learn a new craft. So I was 18 years old, the University of Colorado, and they hired me to be a videotape editor. Hired a bunch of young men and women. And so I was in my edit booth editing the Broncos with Red Miller show. Uh, They were getting ready for the draft. And I was there at about 7 o'clock in the morning and in came the assignment editor running in and she said, you know something about sports? You were the sports intern and you edit all the sports videotape. And I said, yeah, what's going on? She said, Muhammad Ali's two and a half hours early at the airport, go interview him. I'd never done an interview before. It was the first interview I was ever being asked to do. (laughs) Wow! So I didn't have any any clothes. I went into the weatherman's office, tried to fit on his stuff, but it was too small. He was a little little itty bitty guy named Stormy. And so I just ended up (laughs) getting in my car and running out there, but you gotta understand They couldn't find the news anchors, they couldn't find the sports anchors, they couldn't find reporters because nobody picked up their home phone at that hour. They were either asleep or they were Mm -hmm. at breakfast or out for a jog or in the shower, whatever they were doing. So I went out there and I saw Ali and we went into this uh, little room at Stapleton International Airport and I asked the first question and he said, you're doing this interview? And everybody in the entourage started to laugh. Well, that laughter made me laugh because it was funny. And I wasn't ready for this interview. And it relaxed me instead of seeming like he was making fun of me, it was funny what he said. By about the third or fourth question, he said, you sound like the local Howard Cosell. And let me tell you guys, that was the best. Matt and Jackson, Stephen. that was the best compliment I'd ever had in my life, okay? (laughs) And that just propelled me with confidence. So I came back to the the station, he gave me 45 minutes, and I was going to edit myself.
4: St- a whole nother man, though, I'm sure. Not to interview you, but you came back a whole nother man. Like, I, okay. was just, I
5: was just on cloud you know I mean? nine. This was the a- most famous guy in the world, <laughs> a sporting icon. I right. had watched all of his interviews my whole right. life with my dad, with I Muhammad Ali it. and Howard Cosell. It. So I went to edit myself out because they were going to put me on the air. I wasn't an on-the-air personality. I was an 18-year-old editor uh, in college. So as I was editing myself out uh, for the evening news, The head of the bureau walked in, the news director, a man named Roger Ogden, and he watched this tape with me for an hour and a half. He watched the 45-minute interview twice. At the end of it, he looked up at me and he said, I'm putting you and this video on the air. It's barely adequate. Wow. So I tell everybody I've been barely adequate ever since, and and here we are. But that led, (laughs) back then they had this thing called, it was an ABC station, and ABC had this uh, uh, a uh, thing that was called DEF, ABCDEF. DEF stood for Daily Electronic Feed, and they would feed out everything from the local stations to each other. So all of the ABC affiliates would get this. So they uploaded mine uh, on the daily electronic feed to all the other ABC stations. Well, almost all the stations took it oh. down and put it on their news because there was a young kid interviewing Ali. Well, that got back to Ali, that it was a big success, the interview and how he had treated me. and And so he started letting me come to all of his fights from then on and interview him before the fight and after That's the fight. So and so Holy ABC shit. took notice of that. And my boss took notice of that. And then Bob Arum hired me because he saw that Ali had opened the door. So if Ali was good with mm. me, then he started letting me interview Hagler and Hearns and Duran and all Whoa. of his big fighters that, uh, Ray sugar, Ray mm. Leonard. And so that opened the door and then Don King saw that. And then so Don King and Bob Arum, who were <laughs> big, big rivals, both hired me and I was just a young kid and they right. would bring me in before their big close circuit fights to do all of the interviews for that week. Well, back then, you know, there wasn't, they they didn't have stuff like we have now. So this this was a right. way that every station in the country could get material without having to pay to put a reporter there. They'd get all of these interviews. And so uh, it just opened all of the doors and and, and uh, so it's Muhammad Ali to answer your question. It was a long answer. I'm sorry.
4: Mm. All good. It was a great answer. I mean, before we move any forward, I mean, to kind of hear how it started. Can you explain to our viewers where all those beautiful statues are behind you?
5: <laughs> well, those are all Those are, th- Don't be those modest. are all the Emmys. Don't be this modest. is a glove given to me from Muhammad Ali. There's the great Nelson Mandela. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, that's my wife yes. and my dog, Fran. My, my dog name is Rave. Yes. My wife is Fran. There's Muhammad Ali and Fraser, <laughs> And there's my big hero. There's my big hero right there, my dad. And he passed away. And there's my mom. Right. She's in Denver. So that's everything that, you know. Nice. And there's the colonel. There's two pictures of the colonel. I call him the colonel. Jack Nicholson. Uh, colonel Jack Nathan Nicholson. Jessup. There I you got go.
4: It. Hey, he's got, nice. a, he's got a nickname for you too, doesn't he? Scratchy. Doesn't Jack Nicholson have a nickname? Scratchy scratchy Scratchy. (laughs) uh getting back to to where we were at um and there's ali and fraser ali and
5: fraser there you go yeah
4: i saw the ali in the corner i could see that what uh how different were muhammad ali and mike tyson first as fighters but then as people as well
5: totally different on all ends um uh totally different in almost everything that they've done in their lives and the way that they've approached it. Um, both great, great fighters. Uh, Mike Tyson was uh, seek and destroy and was powerful and, you know, uh, had a huge intimidation factor and uh, uh, would go would go into the ring with the, you know, with just that brutal towel over him and, and those black towel. shirt, uh, with, the black, I mean, the black shorts, laced, black uh, shoes. Black laced shoes Oof. and, and you know, kind of stalk mm. back and forth and walk around. And uh, Ali was much different in his style, in an elegant robe with a beautiful, pretty face. And I'm so pretty, and uh, I'm the greatest of all times. And you know, it, and, and and his his, uh, his approach was different. His body language was different. His uh, uh, skill level was different. So, uh, and and Ali uh, Tyson Tyson is, Tyson is a brilliant man. Okay. Mike Tyson is is really really intelligent. I mean, he has Arthur Ashe on this shoulder and Days of Grace and Chairman Mao uh, on this shoulder, and he can recite the tenets of the of the Red Book and he can tell you about history and Napoleon and Shakespeare and he can go up and down uh, all the lineage of boxing and he has a tremendous uh, wherewithal and 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 is really uh, really incredible. And then Ali. Uh, obviously, you know uh, Ali was was Shakespeare. Ali was a poet, and he was uh, he was he was fun. He was eloquent. He was boastful. He was he was uh, principled. He was he was all of those things that that we look at and we and 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 we hold in such high admiration and aspire to. And, and Mike, uh, there's just so much to respect as well. You know, Mike Tyson at his worst moments. Uh, Matt and Stephen at his worst moments he comes out and faces the music and he answers the questions, particularly with me. And I've always been grateful for that. He's not hiding behind a press release. He's not hiding behind some PR spin. He's not saying, my lawyer will handle that. He's not saying, let the Nevada State Athletic Commission decide what happens and then I'll release a statement. He comes out and he takes his own medicine. And Mike wrote me a letter uh, when he was in Indiana in the youth uh, penitentiary in the correctional facility in prison. And it came to my house in Atlanta and, um, it had already been opened because the warden or the prison officials, uh, I guess they do that so that they make sure that whatever's leaving the prison, uh, is okay to be viewed or, or to be seen. And so, um, I got to the second page and, uh, the letter said, uh, they'll let me out of prison tomorrow if I'll admit to this rape, but I'll never admit Mr. Gray to something that I did not do. So I'm going to stay here in prison. Next paragraph. However, there are four or five other things that I've done throughout the course of my life that are worse than what I'm accused of. Therefore, I feel I'm at the right place at this time. Wow. Wow. So he got out of prison and he let me do the first interview with him when he got out of prison. And I said, Mike, is this a personal letter or can I make it public? If you don't want me to say this, I won't. If you do, then, then I will. And he said, you can ask me whatever you want. It's not a problem. So I asked him, what's worse than what you were accused of? And he looked over at his lawyer. And he looked back at me then he looked into the camera and he said, you know, it's probably best not to answer this on national television because I don't know the statute of limitations. However, what I wrote you is true. I was in the right place at the right time.
4: hmm Powerful. Mm-hmm. So they're they're much different I'm people. A, much a, different
5: people, but uh, they they're both both great in their own right. But nobody nobody'll ever be like Ali. Ali was that's why his that's why he's on top. He is the goat, he invented it. Mm. Uh and, and for what he did inside and out of the ring, uh in all aspects, uh, uh, Ali is by himself.
2: The way Tyson started off his career. Like, and just think about how he was in his right mind, how how he was guided by Custom Auto, by he had a good camp, the right people with him. How much greater could Tyson have been?
5: Probably, probably could have been, been much greater. Uh, but he, but he fell, he fell prey to all of the vices. And he, he's not regretful of it, mm. but he spent all that money. He enjoyed uh, his life. He, 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 did all those things that he wanted to do with women and drugs and to satisfy any personal need for that moment. Any any, any need he had to have pleasure, uh, he just went for it. And so uh, he's not regretful of it because he would be the first to tell you, I, I lived the way I wanted to live and had a great life. And if that meant Absolutely. having tigers Absolutely. in his house or being bitten by the lion, you know, he was doing what he wanted <laughs> she- to do. Or if it was in his quiet <laughs> moments, right. which he still has now with with the homing pigeons and, and, and you know, where he takes so much solace in that. Uh, but he was, he, he was diverted mentally by all of these distractions. And, and you saw it play out in the ring because you can't, you know, you can't play boxing, okay? It's a serious sport. Right. And everybody right. who's coming mm, at right. you is serious about it. So, you know, he was playing too much with, with the very thing that brought him all of this attention, all of this money, all of this glory. And so... Yeah, I'm I'm sure he could have been a lot greater, uh, but I don't think that he would tell you uh, that he would change much of it. In fact, I just did an interview with him uh, for for the book, Talking to Goats. We had an hour special, and I asked him specifically about some of those things that that he doesn't have regret for, and he said he probably would bite that ear all over again uh, if if that's what happened Mm -hmm. to him. So he's had a long time to think about a lot of this, and You know, the the, the great thing about Mike is, you know, the stuff that is in the rearview mirror, uh, he he doesn't try and deny it. He Mm -hmm. says, you know, that was my glory. And even if they were despicable and bad acts, you know, nobody was going to take my glory. So, uh, you know, Hmm. I've always respected that he he wants to own what it is that he has done and try and be better uh, with how he goes forward than he has been in the past.
2: Yeah, I'm a big Big, I'm a big Mike Tyson fan. I'm getting a tattoo of Mike on my. Yeah, I'm a huge Mike fan.
4: Uh, Being someone who had the opportunity to really get to know him outside of just these interviews, was it something that from from a distance you saw coming when you kind of felt like he fell from graces? Was it the Buster Douglas fight, or was it before? Like it was it was a culmination of things adding up. Did you see anything as first of all a friend, but second of all as okay as as your job in this space, like?
5: Uh oh, Matt, you could see this coming from a million miles and you didn't have to be Nost- Nostradamus. You know, you didn't even have to have a crystal ball. You, could, you, you knew that this was going to happen. You just, you just knew that the way he lived his, his, his life with the wave of emotions and the roller coaster that he lived on. And, you know, that juiced him up too. That, that used to make him great. And, and I've often thought with a lot of these great athletes who perform these incredible skills, if you start altering, Uh, that very being that they are, and you try toning him down in this area or making him more polite in Mm -hmm. this area, or if you just alter whatever it is of those guys. If you didn't tell Michael Phelps, if you didn't tell Michael Phelps, hey, you know what? You've been staring at a black line almost your entire adult life to figure out how you could get an eyelash or a fingernail to that end board first if you started telling him to do something other than staring at that black line for the countless hours, days, months, and years that he did, well, he wouldn't be the most decorated gold medalist in the history of the Olympics because you would have altered that. So if you start altering Mike what he was, he might have not had that ferocious uh, uh, response that he had that made him great, that made him all have the entire world want to watch him. So you could see it coming and you knew that it was going to crash, but that was all part of the beauty of it. You know, nobody, nobody's attracted to calm. Everybody's attracted to the hurricane. Mm. We all tune in to see the damage that the Mm -hmm. hurricane does. Nobody really looks outside when it's sunny in 78. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
4: You had an opportunity to obviously get to know Mike. And Muhammad Ali, um, in their primes, and I hate to put you on the spot because obviously this is all speculation. Who do you feel like would have won a fight when they are both in their prime?
5: Ali, I think he proved that against Foreman. So I would, I would say mm-hmm. Ali. And the good news is, is uh, Mike, he says it right here on the back cover, so he won't be mad. He said I'm his most trusted friend, so he would understand that, and I think he believes that too.
2: <laughs>
5: so don't come calling and screaming at me, Mike. He wouldn't do that, but. No, I, I believe Ali.
4: Um to see Mike <laughs> back in the end. What do the you guys think? Let me ask you that ex- question.
5: I'm gonna l i am going to I know it's your I know uh, it's your me, show, you're I, asking I the questions, it. but what do you guys think?
2: I think I think I think Ali got a little bit too much for him. I think the same kind of problems Lennox gave Mike, I think Ali would have gave him times ten.
5: Matt, what do you think?
2: I agree. I agree. I agree. I mean, my only thing is if,
4: if Mike could have got obviously inside, which w- was tough to do, but got him on the ropes inside and hit him with an uppercut, that's going to put anybody to sleep. So that would be my only, you know, thinking. But, uh, you know, as far as just straight boxing, to me, I've never seen, obviously, I wasn't around in Ali's prime. So everything I had to w- go back and watch. But from what I saw, I don't, I don't think anyone, when Ali was on his game game, I mean, he showed that no one could beat him.
5: What are you, Matt, like 42, 43? F- I just turned 40, 40 in March. Okay. Oh, those UCLA <laughs> yeah. days went quick.
4: Yeah. Man, didn't they? Yeah, I just I'm, – I'm 20 years rem- – you know, it's – its it goes by fast. I us just say that. It goes by fast. I had my 20-year, <laughs> high, 20, 20-year high school reunion, and I'm coming up, man, in, 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 in two years – I'll be my twenty year college. Uh, I'm just like holy, 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 holy. It's going by too fast. Stephen, how
5: long are you removed from there? Forty. I'm forty two years old.
2: Wow. wow. Forty two years old. Yeah, yeah. I've been. I've been out the league. What, going on five years wow. now. I'm three removed. Yeah, it goes by fast. It goes by fast. Goes yeah. by fast. Longevity is key.
4: <clears throat> um, thoughts on Mike. One last thing on Mike. Thoughts on Mike getting back in the ring. We just saw an exhibition against Roy Jones. I think Mike held back a little bit on some shots. He probably could have really hurt Roy. But to see after everything he's been through, uh, good, bad, and in between, uh, to see Mike back out there. Because it looked like leading up, he was really enjoying himself training and, and just kind of getting – because you, you heard him talk before that He missed that. So to see him back out there, what did that mean to you?
5: I thought it was a terrific night. It was fun. He'd lost a hundred pounds. He had rededicated himself. He hadn't found that in him since, you know, he had quit uh, on Showtime. Uh, We did that fight against uh, McBride uh, where he just said, I can't be this person anymore. I don't have it in me. And then to be able to see what he did a couple of weeks ago against uh, Roy Jones Jr. And and he didn't try to hurt him. He understood that it was an exhibition. And, you know, as Snoop so eloquently said on the air that night, put some sauce (laughs) on those ribs, please. Uh, you know, he hit him pretty good to the midsection on several occasions, but he didn't, he didn't want to hit him in, in in the face. And Roy did very well. I mean, Roy's 51 right. years old, and he stood in there, and you could tell he was exhausted, but he made it through, and he acquitted himself well. So, you know, I was happy for Mike, you know, that at least he came out there and was able to accomplish uh, what he set out to do. And he, and he gave the fans, and he gave a whole a whole new generation at least the ability to see him in good shape. And to uh, go into the ring, and I'm sure it'll set up for him to be able to do this again. Uh, who that will be, I'm not sure. Where that will be, or or how that will go, uh, but it was a tremendous financial success. It was a tremendous physical success, and uh, they pulled it off in these COVID times. And uh, uh, everybody who tuned in seemed to uh, seemed to be happy. There don't seem to be a whole lot of complaints, and we get a lot of complaints in boxing. get a lot of people who don't like what they Mm. see and and I haven't I haven't heard that and and as well they shouldn't it was it was I thought it was a a, a, an excellent exhibition and that uh, uh, Mike looked terrific and and you know they're going to score this thing a draw before they start because the athletic commission in California doesn't allow you to score an exhibition so the three celebrity judges who they had uh, are doing it off of television and I'm sure it was all you know set in so far as uh, they weren't going to announce a winner, but anybody who watched the fight uh, could clearly tell that Mike dominated.
4: Seeing that exhibition, um, just hearing that Floyd announced that he's gonna be fighting, um, I think Logan Paul. What, as someone who's been in the game from Ali to Tyson to, to seeing Floyd's greatness throughout his career, how do you feel when you see arguably one of the greatest fighters of all time fighting a YouTube? uh star
5: i'm never one that says somebody shouldn't do what they want to do because only they know how they feel so only floyd knows how he feels and this is what he wants to do and he feels good about it so whether or not the public will buy into this or want to see it that's a whole different equation but i think that you know we live in we live in a place where you are free to go about and do what you want to do so this is what he has determined he wants to do he feels that he'll make money doing this i guess he feels that he'll have some fun Uh, Mr. Paul is one of these guys who obviously has a tremendous following on social media. Uh, His brother Jake just knocked out Nate Robinson the other night, uh, and he has committed himself. I don't know uh, what Logan is in terms of boxing, but uh, younger brother or or brother Jake has decided that that's the profession that he wants to pursue. So, look, Floyd's 45 years old. Um, He hasn't really fought. uh, You know, Conor McGregor uh, was... uh, 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 an exhibition really as well. It was, it was a huge payday and it was a fight that goes on his record. And then he ended up with Berto, uh, after that. But I guess, you know, Floyd wants to stay active in a minimal way and and do this. And who am I to sit here in judgment and say, no, don't do that. This isn't good. It's not good for you. It's not good for that. No, I don't believe that. I believe it's fine. If this is what he wants to do, let the public decide. Let the public decide if they want to see this. Let boxing fans decide if they want to see it. And sure, go ahead. And what I, do you guys think? I think I want it's see great.
4: It. I think it's great. I mean, I, I like it. Like you said, you can say what you want, but at the end of the day, people are going to tune in. And that's why I think overall stuff like this happens because people do want to see this. And I think too often uh, media or people with the platform uh, will critique situations. Like Dana White came out and, and kind of took a stab at what the 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 state of boxing is with this, but I kind of feel like if everyone just listened to what you said and thought how you thought, <laughs> the whole world would be different first and foremost. But you know, stuff around sports would be different. Like you, to be an athlete, we have you know a small window to be as great as we can, accumulate as much money as we can, and when it's over, it's over. You know what I mean? So for Floyd to be as great as he was. No blemishes on his record. Like you said, 45. It's still going to be a cool little payday. And like you said, minimal work, because we all know what's going to happen. I see nothing wrong with it.
5: He's Floyd Mayweather. He can do what he wants. As long as it conforms to with what's in the law, why not? And he's been a fighter his whole professional life. Wants to have an exhibition. Great. I mean, the people have their choice. If you want to watch it, you're going to watch it. And if you don't, then you'll move on to if something else. And guess right. what? It will attract a lot (laughs) of attention. He's Floyd Mayweather. He's a perfect 50 and 0. And uh, apparently this other young man has a huge following of young people. And uh, so that's going to attract mm-hmm. attention, and we'll see how it collides. Everybody
2: want to see Logan get knocked out. His brother just TKO'd <laughs> Nate. Not Nate. He, knocked, he knocked Nate under the ring. They're probably still trying to wake Nate up. <laughs> the world want to see Mayweather get uh, knock Logan out just for revenge. Then that's just what it is. So people want to see it because of that. Let's just keep it well, real. It'll be, yeah. be
5: interesting I mean, if, if, if Floyd takes the same path that Mike did and, and, and doesn't want to hurt the young man. <laughs> Because because oh, exactly. Floyd Mayweather is one of the greatest fighters in the history of boxing, and he didn't lose all of his skills and all of his talent because he hasn't fought for a couple of years now. Uh, he will have all of that, right. so I'm sure that he could do great damage to this guy. The question is is whether he will have mercy and, and and let him be, or whether or not we will see it unleashed.
4: Jack, what do you think? Should he have mercy or unleash that shit?
2: Uh, unleash it, man. Hey, I feel like this. (laughs) Hey, hey. because, because just think about it like this though. If he lands a good punch on Floyd where it dazes him anything, he's going to live off that for the rest of his life. So Floyd go in there and knock him clean out. One of the first
5: fights I got to go to was Ali against Alzado. That's why he came to Denver for that interview. He was going to fight Spinks and then he was going to fight Lyle Alzado at Denver Bronco who went on to win a championship mm. with, uh, with the Raiders. But uh, the Ra- they, they Raiders. had that at Mile High Stadium, and Ali clowned and played. For Alzado, he wanted to land a punch, and he wanted to actually hit the champ. And so it was serious for him, mm-hmm. and, you know, he didn't obviously win the fight, but it was, it was something that was more than an exhibition to the football player, and obviously nothing right. but an exhibition to the boxer. So it'll be interesting to see <laughs> well, <laughs> what type of approach Floyd takes on that.
1: Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ
0: Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
3: AT&T connects an ode to podcasts.
2: Okay, GOAT, what was it like to cover two other GOATs, Shaq and Kobe?
5: Well, it was fun. I mean, Shaq made things so much fun. I mean, uh, Shaq was a, a, a brilliant basketball player who, who you know, obviously was a a, a big, big guy. And, and like Will Chamberlain said, nobody loves a giant. So everybody used to beat up on Shaq and he used to have to take it from the referees and take it from opponents and so forth. And uh, But Shaq's a big, lovable guy, still is to this day and but there was a there was a personality conflict with Kobe because you know they each felt that you know uh, it was their team and 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 obviously Phil Jackson was involved in this, and you know Shaq was a much more sensitive guy, so Kobe got beaten up upon and, and it took a toll on kobe and uh it 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 set him back you know it didn't it didn't necessarily uh shake him uh in terms of 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 his ability to move forward and continue to uh, uh, achieve greatness and want to be the best basketball player of all time. Uh, he was myopic in that view, uh, but it wore him down. Uh, and so, um, you know, they didn't have an appreciation. Shaq didn't have necessarily an appreciation of Kobe until it was too late, until uh, him and Phil had had beaten mm-hmm. him up so bad uh, that 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 Kobe just wanted out and wanted away. And and because he wanted away and they figured that it was better for for Shaq to move on. Um, And, uh, you know, when he went through that diatribe with me in the interview that we did, uh, Kobe had a tremendous amount of venom. And one thing I think that, you know, uh, having been his teammate, uh, uh, Matt, and then, you know, having that famous thing where and and you saw where uh, he didn't he didn't flinch uh, when you were with the Orlando Magic. One thing about Kobe, Kobe was myopic, and he just wanted to win. And if you were in his way as an opponent, he got you out of the way. And if you were in his way as a teammate, guess what? He treated you the same way. He got you out of the way. And he did the same thing with Phil. He had total disdain for a long time with Phil Jackson. He despised him. and, And even Phil wrote in his book that he could feel that hatred coming from Kobe. Now, they ended up fine, and they ended up winning more championships, and, and they patched it up uh, later in life as they moved on. But Kobe, Kobe was uh, certainly distracted and distraught uh, with that treatment. And so uh, uh, when, he, when he gave that interview, I had to tone him down. I, I said, Kobe, we can't. You know, And it's, and it's in the Talking to Goats book. Uh, I said, Kobe, if, if I put this on the air, um, there was one statement in particular. I said, first of all. You'll never ever have any kind of a relationship, let alone win championships with this guy uh, and, and and this organization. Mm. But you'll also have a hard time just going to work every day. Uh, I said, "We'll let the rest of this go because they're your words, not mine." And but the one the one the one statement that we took out that I said, "Kobe, I'm editing this out." I said, not only for you, but for me. I I, I have to have a relationship with Shaq. Uh, he he said uh, he said uh, that. Shaquille O'Neal, he was referring to, he said, the guy selling donuts at the 7-Eleven had more pride in his job than Shaq did. <laughs>
2: well, and this was the
5: same interview that he had gone public calling him fat and lazy and that he had surgery on the organization's time and uh, he would do it on company time instead of his time while he wasn't ready for the season. And so, you know, it was volatile enough without that. And for the next two or three years uh, uh Shaq, I called Shaq before this interview came out to give him a heads up, because I I really like Shaq and I enjoyed covering him and and we had a terrific relationship and he didn't want to respond. And then it came out and he threatened to kill Kobe the next day. In fact, they put in a metal detector uh, (laughs) over there and Kobe jumped up and said, let's fight. Okay, and all of this has been confirmed by Shaq as recently as the all-star game uh, this February in Chicago and by John Black, the PR director of the Lakers, former PR director, but anyway, I called him to let him know this interview was coming out, guys, and he didn't want to respond. But for the next two or three years, he called me Trader Gray. Here comes Trader Gray, and he wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> Trader Gray, Trader Gray. So we have a great relationship now, and, and I, I, love, I love Shaq. But when you ask about what it was like to cover them, oh, yeah. uh, they had obviously tremendous highs with those uh, uh, 3 peak championships. And uh, uh, to see that excellence of one of the greatest tandems in the history of of, of basketball. Uh, but they also had some, some really, really, really low lows. And uh, so it, it was always unique and interesting. And I loved Kobe. I, I knew Kobe from the time that he was an infant in, in his uh, mother Pam's arms. Uh, I was a scout, believe it or not, guys, uh, for the San Diego Clippers, for Paul Silas and Pete Babcock. Wow. So, uh, I had known Kobe as just, uh, I'd seen Kobe grow, uh, from when his dad, Jellybean played for the Clippers and obviously my time in Philadelphia and, and then so forth, but, uh, uh, still hurt, still hurt and grief that loss. And it's just tragic for Vanessa and the girls and the other families, but, uh, uh, covering them, covering them was a great joy. And it was, it was really, really an interesting time and, and something that we'll never see again.
4: Nothing. You know, what I find interesting, obviously, is is to me, knowing Kobe, the way I did, and, and when I hear new stories, he used all the negativity as fire. Like, that's what you saw on the court, that Mamba was, he had a way of channeling all the other noise and distractions and bullshit into fire. But then at the same time, it's also amazing to hear the human side, to let people know, like, people have feelings, like, this really wore him down, and and... I never knew that, and and like to me, like I said, it's just interesting, especially when you're hearing about the goats, but just people in general. I think often people think we're robots that we're just straight athletes, and because we make money, nothing affects us, nothing. But it's interesting to hear the 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 human and the emotional side of of what that caused. You know, because I know I hear a lot and and have been around LA kind of since Kobe got here, and you would hear stuff like, "Damn, they really did used to fuck with Kobe." You know, I heard one story one time Mm -hmm. where. And it was confirmed that Kobe would come on the, uh, the the plane or the bus sometimes with his headphones on but off just so we can kind of hear what kind of shit that Shaq was going to, you know, kind of be saying. But, you know, everyone, you, you might have thought they were on. But to kind of hear, you know, the human side and, and, and how that did beat him up and wear him down. But to see the finished product of what it turned him into, you know, it, it was pretty special.
5: Shaq was brutal to Kobe. Okay, he, he 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 was brutal in many ways. Uh, take all the success uh, aside. I mean, uh, you know, Shaq knows how to uh, get everybody to coalesce around him. He's fun. He's engaging. He's he's light. He, Shaq knows. Shaq
4: is a great. Yeah, Shaq, Shaq is a great. You know, I I play with Shaq. I love Shaq to death. But like I said, you were around and then hearing stories. It it, it sounds like it was it was uh, it was an all
5: out attack. Well, he knew how to recruit guys into his camp. And Kobe wasn't, yep. Kobe wasn't trying to be in anybody's camp. Kobe was trying to be the best basketball player ever and win championships. So he wasn't engaged right, in that right. type of fraternal order or, you know, have be the Pied Piper, so to speak. And so, you know, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, it worked against him and hurt him, but it also helped elevate him because he became stronger mentally, that right. Mamba mentality. And, you know, the good thing was is, is by the end of Kobe's life, you know, they had worked out a detente. They weren't close. They weren't the best of buddies. They didn't right. hang out, but you know they they had a detente that, that they realized the time that they had spent together was special, that it probably had ended too soon. But Kobe went on and did what he wanted to do and proved to himself that he could be a champion with Pal Gasol and and with other teammates and to be the leader of the group instead of having you know Shaq make a self declaration that it was his team. Kobe was able to prove that no, it was it was in fact his team, so. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, uh, you you probably never know how good you have it till you don't have it anymore. I mean, everybody's Mm, life is kind of riddled with that, right? Um, all of us look back and say, you know, that was pretty good. Why did I do things like that? And I think that Mm -hmm. they had come to, to that, like I say, that detente where they had come back together, not close, but just not antagonized anymore.
4: What made Kobe in your eyes so special?
5: He cared so much. He cared. He dug into everything deeply. If he was committed, he was committed. And that meant friendship too and loyalty. He was very loyal to me. I saw his loyalty play out uh, in numerous ways uh, to a, a host of folks and he never forgot. He, this guy had a memory. You talk about elephants have memories, no. Kobe's Kobe's have memories, they should rename the term. This guy did not forget anything about anybody at any time. If it was an act of kindness, he always appreciated it. If it was a slight, he had it filed. He had a big, big cabinet and he knew. He knew where everybody was all the time and he had it all sorted out. So he had, a, he had a great, great memory and he could also compartmentalize and he would use for good what worked for good for him and use for bad, as you pointed out earlier, that motivation and that fire and it drove him. And I think the other thing that, that happened with Kobe is, Kobe had a thousands and thousands of acts of kindness and he didn't look for recognition of it. He didn't want that acknowledgement. He didn't right. want that to go against that Mamba mentality that maybe somehow right. somebody might figure out that he had Looks a softness, soft. you know, yeah. that, that that would work right. against yeah. him. Absolutely. But let's remember what's the most lasting impression that we have now of Kobe Bryant. It's kissing Gigi. It's, it's, it's girl dad, that hashtag it's, it's, you know, not only what he achieved on the basketball court, but it's that love that everybody has for him, what they saw off the court. And I was able to see that, you know, virtually his whole life. And so, and and that's what hurts so bad is that we don't have that anymore.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it. it, it crazy you said that the lasting memory because i felt the same way i actually got that tattooed on my leg um her at the all-star game reaching up and giving her dad a kiss i i got that tatted on my leg about four months ago so that is at the end of the day say what you want to me that's what it was for me you know everything else was great but the dad he was was what was so special and that, and that's what really our, our connection group was with kids and him sending my kids shoes and him coming to my kids aau games and us going to check out Gigi's games like that's was my greatness aside, Mamba side, like the human side of, of Kobe is is what I you know always hold on to whenever I'm kind of feeling down about anything.
5: He was special. He was just special, and I get goosebumps yeah. here. And you say that about the tat, the tattoo that you have, and you know I I, I knew him on 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 you know just a, just a, just as a great great friend, and and we took a trip a few years ago uh, to Hong Kong. Uh, number of, uh, people in Hong Kong, some billionaires, uh, Chinese billionaires wanted to hear Kobe speak. And so, uh, uh, make a long story short, they had me come interview him. And, and then after this interview for like 20 people for an hour, we went to, uh, a, a bar in Hong Kong and they only spoke Chinese there except for we sang karaoke. And, uh, mm-hmm. I just never forget that night of, of Kobe, uh, singing, uh uh, uh, the Jay-Z song of, of New York with Alicia Keys and uh, my wife uh, singing uh, mm-hmm. an Elvis song. Uh, I can't stop falling in love with you. And my wife, Fran had, had uh, done the first commercial. She worked for the Coca-Cola company and did the first commercial that Kobe ever did when he was a, a 17, 18 uh, year old youngster uh, for, for for Sprite. Uh, Sprite, and, um, yeah, Sprite. And she, she did that commercial. So they had been very close for a long time as well. And uh, and then I sang a John Denver song, Believe It or Not, Country Roads Take Me Home. And we were singing in this Chinese uh Chinese bar in Take Hong me Kong. Home, Country Roads. Julie. Anyway, so uh,
1: <laughs>
2: uh, West
5: Virginia. So it made me even think of Jerry West when I was doing it and, and Kobe and I just kinda and, and, and we were there and there were there were maybe twenty-five or thirty people there and his guard was totally down and uh and that's the kobe that that I remember that's the kobe that 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 i you know uh I was exposed to and uh, it's it's the one that 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 we miss and it's uh uh the great the great thing about kobe uh, as tragic as this death is he's left an imprint an indelible impression in our minds and the outpouring mm-hmm. um of of love and respect uh that was shown to him. Uh, and displayed um, is, 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 you know, really in, in, in a category and almost unsurpassed in Los Angeles that, that I can remember um, and Absolutely. across across the country and uh, uh, across the globe. And perhaps it's because of the way that he was lost with the others and, and his beautiful girl Gigi. And, and perhaps it's because that's how they felt all this time and never were able to show him while he was alive. Right,
4: mm. that's why you Jack didn't know I knew that song. I'm at. No, that surprised me. No, but I mean, that's why you know you're an advocate of giving people flyers while they're here, and it. it's a it's an interesting point you touched on, Jim. I think more than anything, they knew it. They just never, you know, all the back talking and bullshit. They figured at one point, hey, I'll be able to pay my respects. But it just goes to show you never don't. You know, they, they they had these amazing feelings about them but they disguised them with hate and bullshit instead of just saying, hey, like. We got a lot of love for you. But uh, anyway, man, rest in peace to our brother Kobe and Gigi yes, and uh, obviously everyone else left, lost on that flight. 2010, tell me what, what, would it, what it was like sitting across from LeBron James during the decision <laughs> from your point of view.
5: It was the most unique moment I've had probably in, in my career. It was the star of the NBA announcing to the league and the world uh, his intentions. And I didn't know the answer to the question. I didn't want to know the answer to the question. And he was doing this, you know, it was like uh, uh, having a press conference with only one person being able to ask the questions. And that was me uh, for this uh, a show to give uh, millions upon millions of dollars to the Boys and Girls Clubs that would help change and affect the lives for the better of thousands of kids and uh, be able to find out where, uh, where, where, exactly LeBron was going to uh, be playing, whether he would be staying or or going elsewhere. So it was it was really unique. Um, Nothing like that had ever occurred before. Uh, And might I say nothing like that probably will ever occur again. No,
4: absolutely. He took a lot of heat, I guess, for the way it was done, kind of an all eyes on me situation. And and whether you like the way he made it happen or not, what I took away from it was player empowerment. You know, mm-hmm. he showed people for, like, su- superstars in particular for the first time, like, this is your career. Like, do what you want to do with your career. Now, you, like I said, you may not have uh, agreed with the vehicle in which he did it, but at the end of the day, what I took away from it, and you've seen the ripple effect since, as if you're a superstar, like, you know, these teams aren't loyal, uh, at the end of the day, aren't loyal to you, and in the second you can't perform from them, they're going to cut you, trade you, or wave you. Like, take your... Career in your future and you're playing in your own hands. And I always had a lot of respect and admiration for him when he did that that day. Because ten years later, you've seen a whole new landscape of the NBA because of the decision.
5: That's exactly.
2: Even, even I mean, even today, even today, look, James Harden holding out. So you know,
5: you hit it exactly, exactly yep. right, Matt and and Jack's exactly, exactly right. And in the rearview mirror now, ten years, but it was the beginning of player empowerment. And I say that in talking to goats in the book, that the, um, this was the Kurt Flood moment for not only basketball players, but for players really in every sport. Of course, Kurt Flood, all those years ago, challenged the reserve clause and it was a very difficult road for him, uh, but he paved the way for you guys. He paved the way for all athletes to be able to have the ability to be free, okay? And he was doing it for baseball. Right. Well, what LeBron James did here uh was not only the beginning of player empowerment and the and and the ability to bring super teams together. We had had super teams before, but it was the organizations who had put them together. It was the organizations who had All manipulated right. it. It was not it was not because uh, a certain player decided he wanted to go play with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh together that he did on his All own right. volition. Right. It was because the organizations were able to Uh, manipulate the system and bring folks together. Or the draft worked out that David Robinson was hurt uh, very badly one year and they were able to get the draft pick, which turned into Tim Duncan. Well, that was more, you know, uh, a quirk of fate than it was any planning. There was no planning in that. It happened. It happened because one guy who was the best player or one of the best players, David Robinson, got hurt. And I understand that we have Kevin Garnett and what happened in Boston. I get all that. But what LeBron James did, it not only was player empowerment of deciding where you were going to go, how you were going to go, and when you were going to go, it also was really the advent and the birth of this social media uh, uh, blossoming and boom, okay? Now everybody, that night when he took that hour from ESPN and gave the money to charity, is how athletes then decided they were going to communicate without the vehicle of the PR department mm. or without David Stern mm-hmm. and the NBA having the ability to have the approval. They did it, he did it on his own. And right. he took all of the risk and he ultimately now got all of that reward. But he took, they made him into a villain and the guy's never been a villain. What can you villainize about a guy who's right. won four championships? What can you villainize about a guy who's been to, what, 10 NBA finals? What can you villainize about a guy? who's built a school, who stands up for social justice, who gets people to go out and vote, who basically, uh, basically has done everything right, everything right in public, okay? So now all of a sudden he had a television show to announce that he decided he wanted to go play basketball someplace else and everybody. And I understand we could have been better. We could have done better. We could have been more sensitive to the fans in Cleveland who were deeply hurt by the best player in the league and a hometown hero from just outside in Akron. Uh, Leaving their team, so we could we could have handled that a little bit more sensitively, uh, all of us. Um, And and you know, there there are certain aspects of the show obviously that had quirks and flaws. But look at social media now, and look at not only that, but the players' Tribune and every and how and how you guys in all of sports now communicate with the public. You guys are now media media guys. You're moguls. You have your own platforms. Okay. (laughs) Well, that really, really started. That was the commencement of it, okay? And I think that all athletes owe a tremendous debt of gratitude uh, to LeBron for what he had to go through to give yep. them a better place. We now spend, we now spend the majority of the year talking more about where is Kevin Garnett going to play before he even wins a championship mm. next year? Where will Kawhi Leonard end up before he's even completed the task where he is? Where is he going next year? And some of this, not all of it's for the good, but I would say a high percentile is very much for the good. And they owe all of that to LeBron.
4: I agree. And I wish, you know, as uh, as a former player and then moving into the media and and, and media base too, but fans as well just had an appreciation and understanding for the moment uh, of greatness of not only LeBron's greatness, but of Kobe's greatness before he passed of Steph's greatness of Giannis's greatness. And I think too, too, too often it's, it's cooler to hate or say something negative instead of showing appreciation which is crazy to me because at the end of the day and you test on it with kobe a lot of people had admiration but instead of showing admiration they showed hate or despise or you know sneak shit instead of just kind of realizing the moment and how special and lucky we are to be able to watch these guys do what they do at this kind of level
5: i'm not sure why all that goes on it's 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 a mystery to me but uh Bud Greenspan said something to me a long time ago. You guys know who Bud Greenspan was. He was a guy that wore the glasses on top of his head. He's before your time. He was a great Olympian and documentarian, uh, a historian of the Olympic games. And he did great films like Jesse Owens Returns to Berlin and the Wilma Rudolph story and The Last African Runner. And he won all kinds of awards, Peabody's Emmys, everything. And, And he said something to me when I was young and working for him after I had done that Ali interview. And I came out to Los Angeles to work on the 84 Olympics as, a, as one of the producers uh, on his film, 16 Days of Glory. And he said to me something that, that just doesn't seem to be too pervasive in our, in our society um, because of the competition. And when he said it to me, I thought it was condescending and arrogant. But he said, I knew I was good when I could look at someone else's work and admire it. Mm. I'm just not sure why people just can't look at people's work and admire it. Maybe they don't feel they're good. Mm. Maybe they don't, they don't feel that they're mm. up to snuff. Maybe they don't feel well, I think it always, perfect in their lives. Yeah. And maybe they just feel that by tearing down somebody else, somehow that makes them look better. That'll make them feel better. But yeah, it's a sad circumstance. You never
2: benefit from that.
4: It's more of a reflection on on the person who's doing it. You know what I mean? And I think that's obviously the era we live in now with social media, which is unfortunate. And that's why I try to shield my kids because they're coming into the spotlight. You know, we just launched their podcast and we have a behind the scenes show, their AAU team. And it's weird that I have to have a conversation of what's coming for them. Like people are going to hate you for, and they're not even great. They're just their kids. But at the same time, knowing where they're going, people are going to hate you because you have something going for you and you have to kind of understand that and not let that play with your mind. Because as a child, you know, we were fortunate enough to not really start listening to all the Buzz until social media came around, but to be to grow up in it and to hear and constantly compared and, and, and trash talk and, and disrespect and hurtful things being said to a child, I think that's something you need to brace them for because that's not something we grew up with. We didn't grow up with constant negativity at the palm of our hand.
5: I would agree with that. I mean, you know, it's 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 a whole different paradigm. I mean, we used to have letters to the editor, and one letter used to represent how a thousand people <laughs> right. would feel, but that letter didn't always get printed, right. even if even if they had a negative feeling. Or they would call into the station and they would inundate the switchboard. You know, that happened to me with the Pete Rose interview, you know, all of the negative hate mail and and all of the taunts and threats that came uh, into the voicemails and, and what they did to the switchboards across the country. But the negativity of today and, and uh, w- with young kids and the bullying that goes on and, 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 and the seemingly okayness, if that's a word, uh, of, of this being directed at people. Um, I think it was Mike Tyson who who brilliantly said not too long ago, um and and i have it on my telephone people because i love the quotes <laughs> I, posted uh, I, I, I have it i, I love it i know, what, you, I so know much. what you're gonna say i posted okay, it okay well go ahead and tell it
4: I, I think people get too comfortable with disrespecting it was something along those lines right people have say gotten it. way I too posted. comfortable I,
5: I, with being able to say negative stuff about it without facing the consequence of being punched in the mouth
2: straight up straight up one thing one thing i was taught i was taught as a young and this is some free game for all the youngsters idea and it's something that I always live by. Never demean somebody for your personal gain. It's going to always backfire on you.
5: I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I agree Amazing. with that.
2: Absolutely. 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame class, Kobe, KG, Duncan. How much do you epitomize, excuse me, how much do they epitomize goats with this Hall of Fame class?
5: Well, Kobe leading the way. Um, it's, 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 a, it's an unbelievably great class, Okay. And Tim Duncan is such an understated guy, but boy was he great. Uh great to deal with mm. uh as a professional, just a, tr- great tr- great just to be a around. Just a true professional. Great to be around, obviously a great teammate, a great champion. Um and uh just a pleasure. Kobe obviously we've 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 talked about him and you know, who who else had the dedication uh that, that Kevin Kevin Garnett gave to the game of basketball and, and the pursuit of excellence that he uh that he put forth uh for all of those many years and and to see that rewarded you know after uh what had gone on and and all that he gave to minnesota and falling short uh with the timberwolves and then coming and, and being able to uh, capture that championship uh with the boston celtics and and to uh you know to see you know just to have been able to see his story and to see what uh what had been achieved and then you know the others who are going into that class as well um it's uh it's 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 bittersweet it's 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 sweet to see those guys get their day it's it's bitter because of covid and and obviously uh with without kobe being there i, I know vanessa will be participating um, yeah. i'm honored that uh, I've, I've been given the kurt Gowdy, uh award to be able to participate uh, which is a tremendous thrill and honor for me uh, to be able to uh get that award at the, at the hall of fame with with kobe and the others that uh, mike breen also uh getting it and the, and the gang from uh uh turner uh ernie johnson and uh charles barkley and 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 their show going in with kenny smith and and Shaq. so it's a, it's uh a, it's a, it's a great class um and it's um it i mean are you going to get any better than those three uh, and the others who, who will uh, who, who will be with them, um, uh, Tamika yeah. Catchings, uh, look, look at everything that she was all able right. to achieve, um, and and the other uh, Hall of Famers. So, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't able to happen uh, back in August, and it'll happen now uh, in the second week, I believe, of May is when we'll all uh, go to Springfield and Mohegan Sun mm-hmm. and have that ceremony before the class of 2021 uh, will go in uh, uh, later in the summer.
2: Congratulations to you as well. Thank you. Right.
4: Absolutely. I mean, in case you guys missed it, I mean, he's going, you're going in the hall of fame as well. You're 2020 hall of fame, uh, obviously on the media side, but it just goes to show just your body of work has, has been rewarded as it should be. And, how much as someone who played the game and, and got a chance to interact with you and now someone who's in the the, the, the media space as well, how much we respect and look up to you and, and appreciate what you've done, not only for the game, but showing other media outlets how you should handle and, and deal and actually build friendships with athletes. Because like I said, it's at the very beginning of the interview, it's very rare to have friendships and you have friendships and, and, and great relationships with some of the greatest to ever play any game.
5: Well, thank you. And that's what's meant the most to me. It's the relationship. You know, I I just heard, you know, you obviously have children. Uh, My wife and I don't have children. So our friends uh, are our family. And so when you are able to uh, have these friendships and these relationships with guys, uh, you know, there's tremendous meaning in it. And that doesn't mean that you don't do your job. And that doesn't mean that I haven't asked all of these guys questions that needed to be asked. Uh, A lot of times they say, well, is that a conflict? Well, what's the conflict? Uh, I've asked everybody who's been in front of me what I thought should be asked for the people I work with and for and for the audience. And uh, somebody asked me about that uh, at the Hall of Fame, the Boxing Hall of Fame a couple of years ago uh, with Mike Tyson and I. And I said, look, Mike Tyson just got hit in the head 150 times by Evander Holyfield. Tom Brady just got sacked five times by Michael Strahan. Kobe Bryant's been elbowed, his feet are stepped on, he's been knocked to the ground 18 times. Do you really think there's any question that I ask him uh, that he's going to be offended by or somehow you think that will affect our relationship? If that was the case, how could they have ever competed in the game that just transpired? They couldn't do it. So, of course, you ask the questions that are necessary, but that doesn't mean that you can't have a relationship with somebody or that you can't be able to, uh, you know, have empathy for them. And compassion for them when they win, so. lose, uh, or, or joy. Either way, any of those feelings. So, yep. uh, the relationships, I think, uh, as you guys will attest now that you're out of basketball, isn't that what you've taken with you now as you carry on in your life?
2: Yes. Yep. Absolutely. That's the big reason thought,
4: for that, our success. I was about to say, that's why we're here now, it is, it is what we formed as players. So I and that's why understand. everybody comes on your show. Uh,
5: They don't come on your show because they can't stand you. you. They come on your show because you have a relationship with (laughs) them. Right.
4: Right. Right. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, Home stretch, quick hitters. First thing to come to mind. We'll start it off with the best fight you ever covered.
5: Castillo Corrales and Hagler Hearns.
2: Ooh. Ooh. Castillo Corrales. Yeah, Castillo Corrales. On Showtime. That was unbelievable.
5: And Diego Corrales, rest his soul, had the had the greatest yes. response to a question that I've asked. I said, "How would you describe this fight?" He said, "This fight was an honor."
2: Mm. 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 Big, mm. big time that of a fight. Best NBA moment covered.
5: Wow. Um, well, I was I was personally thrilled for Julius Irving at the time to win that championship, and then obviously to see Michael Jordan's final shot as a bull. Uh, that was great. And then to have been uh, at that dream team practice uh, in Monte Carlo to see oh. the best game that nobody unfortunately ever got to see. Uh, so I would say that wow. even though that wasn't an NBA moment, uh, those three uh, and and to have Chuck Daly win a championship uh, as my best friend and um, as I stated earlier, introduced me to my wife and, and just uh, was was such a dear, dear close pal. Uh, to see him win that championship Rest with the Pistons. Yeah, that was, that, was, that was special, particularly after the disappointment of losing in the Boston Garden and Isaiah throwing away the ball and then losing uh, to, uh, to yeah. Pat Riley and the uh, Lakers the year before in that Game 7. So uh, I would say those four things, two of them really personal and two of them just huge, huge events in the history of basketball.
4: Favorite interview.
5: Favorite interview. Well, I probably would say my favorite interview. I
4: know that's a tough one. I would one. say the
5: first one with Ali and the ear biting with Tyson. Wow,
4: we didn't get to get into that, but that would have been awesome. <laughs> five goat dinner guests. So around the table, a nice bottle of wine. Who are you? Who Who are five people you're having at your table?
5: Human, just human beings or sports?
4: No, human no, people. People. Yeah, whoever. Any,
2: any, any five
5: any dinner guests you want. Yep. Nelson Mandela, who I did have a meal with. Yes. Uh, he was the most remarkable and special man I ever met. Uh, Winston Churchill. Uh, be- mm, nice. Because of obvious reasons. Um, Muhammad Ali, because he makes everything so much fun and he would have just had everybody laughing and, you know, would have even with mm-hmm. those folks been probably the center of attention. Um, my Dad, because he was my hero, and I'm going to come back to that last guest before we finish. I don't want to think about that for a second
2: <laughs> maybe Do- maybe maybe
5: Dr. King because he was so prevalent, maybe President yeah. Kennedy uh because that was that yeah. was so traumatic mm. in my childhood to see both of them uh assassinated uh would have been kind of cool, I think, mm-hmm. to be able to have a conversation with them and understand uh, more about them uh, and and learn from them. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, you could get into religious figures, uh, you know, uh, would be interesting to have them as well. So um, I know, I know I'd have those four and I'll come back to the fifth.
4: All right. Who would you like to see on our show? And if you know them personally, we would love your help uh,
2: getting them.
5: I'd like to see uh, Barack Obama on your show.
2: Oh, Whoa. Great call. Whoa, good. Hey, hey, You're you a go for a reason, man. You're <laughs> yeah. a go for a reason. Because he loves man. basketball.
5: And I think he would enjoy right. what you guys have to ask him. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that. Yeah, I, 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 I don't have any influence, saw, unfortunately, on the former for president, other than I've interviewed him before <laughs> a few times. But I think if you put out your feelers and you guys know yeah. how to connect. Yes, uh, that, he's Absolutely. a basketballaholic yes. Yes, and a golfaholic.
4: Absolutely, yes. so I think yes. that I think well, that he'd be a great gift for you. Uh, this has been a very special interview today, man. I've enjoyed yes. every second. I, I was hypnotized by some of your stories. Um, we appreciate all, like we said earlier, all you've done in this space and continued success. Best wishes for you and your wife and your mom as well, recovering uh, from cancer. So uh, thank you for your time today.
5: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And we're going to have six guests. I'd bring along you, Matt, and you, Mr. Jackson. That would be the rest of the dinner. Let's do it.
2: That's an honor,
4: man. It's an honor. (laughs) All right. Hey, well, that's a wrap. Uh, That's another edition of All the Smoke. Thank you to our guest, the legendary Jim Gray, going into the Hall of Fame in the twenty twenty. Good luck with that. Uh, you can catch us on Showtime Basketball YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. We'll see y'all next time.
2: This is All a Smoke, a production of the Black Effect and iHeart Radio in partnership with Showtime.
1: At bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic, every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar, whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field.
6: is uncanny usa
2: he says somebody's in the house and i screamed
4: listen to uncanny usa wherever you
1: get your bbc podcasts if you dare
5: a rested child is a happy child sleep tight stories is a weekly podcast that brings
6: comfort and joy to families worldwide